This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Three Lions Podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and this is an independent England football supporters podcast. I hope I find you well. Well, it was a summer that just wasn't to be for the Lionesses, was it? For those that followed their journey on the podcast over the summer, thank you very much for that. Uh, For those that maybe gave it a break, welcome back. Uh, As this time, we are back to focusing in on the senior men as they are back in action for the first time since the 19th of June when we put North Macedonia in their place with a 7-0 victory up at Old Trafford. I say up, it may have been down for you, but it was at Old Trafford, Manchester, wasn't it? Now this time we play Ukraine away in Poland in our fifth European Championship qualifying match then move on to a friendly away to Scotland in Glasgow. Uh, Ukraine is on Saturday the 9th of September, Scotland on the following Tuesday the 12th. Coming up, I'll be chatting to Andrew from the Ukrainian Twitter account Zoroya Londonsk, uh, John Bleasdale from the Scottish Football Forums podcast, and also to resident of Wrocław, Uh, Robert Wojciech, who gives us a guide around the city we will be visiting in Poland. Now, on the 31st of August, Gareth Southgate announced his latest squad, his first since the Malta and North Macedonia games in June. A couple of interesting selections for a variety of reasons. And with the season only a few weeks old, it's hard to really select those on form as they've only played two or three games. But here is his latest 26. Three in goal, Sam Johnston, Jordan Pickford and Aaron Ramsdale. Defenders, Ben Chilwell, good to see him back. Levi Colwell of Chelsea is brought in for his first camp. Lewis Dunk of Brighton. Mark Gay, Crystal Palace. Harry Maguire. Fakayo Tamori returns from AC Milan. Kieran Trippier and Kyle Walker are in. In the midfield, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Jude Bellingham, Conor Gallagher, Jordan Henderson, Calvin Phillips of Manchester City and Declan Rice now of Arsenal. And then our forwards are Eberici Eze, Crystal Palace, Phil Foden and Jack Grealish from Manchester City, Harry Kane, from Bayern Munich, James Madison of Tottenham Hotspur, Eddie Nketiah of Arsenal, Marcus Rashford of Manchester United, Bakayo Saka, Callum Wilson. It is a squad that is represented by four from Arsenal and Manchester City, three from Chelsea and Crystal Palace, two from Manchester United and Newcastle United, and there are one from each of... AC Milan, Brighton, Everton, Liverpool, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, Tottenham Hotspur and Al Etifak. Four 
overseas players. Can't remember the last time we had something like that. Uh, but it's 693 caps across it with 111 goals. A squad with an average age of 27.4. Uh, the youngest player is Jude Bellingham, born in June 2003. That makes you feel old, doesn't it? Uh, the oldest is Kyle Walker, aged 33, but so is Jordan Henderson. And Kieran Trippier uh, isn't too far behind, aged 32. Now, there are two uncapped players in the squad. We've mentioned Levi Colwell of Chelsea uh, and also Arsenal's Eddie Inketiah. And I said that there were some interesting selections. So let's start at the back. Harry Maguire. It's an age-old conversation now, isn't it? But does it now begin to hold some weight? The transfer window is now closed. There was talk of him moving to West Ham, but personal details couldn't be finalised from what I can gather. So he remains at Manchester United, but he is way down the pecking line in terms of starting. Not discounting his quality, because as we all know, he's seldom let England down. But with no John Stones or Tyrone Mings due to injury, then stability is needed but the longer this goes on the more it looks a little strange doesn't it uh, I have to admit though I've not seen much of Chelsea so far this season but as I've said before Conor Gallagher I'm still not convinced by him for England uh, he didn't play against Malta and only came on just before the hour mark against North Macedonia for Jordan Henderson and Henderson is another that has courted controversy since his move to the Saudi Pro League for a couple of reasons, really. Uh, his previous words in support for the LGBTQ plus community and then made the move to a country that has different morals to ours. But sticking to football issues is the Saudi Pro League an acceptable level to be playing at one week and then be playing international football another? And this is a, a dilemma Gareth Southgate is going to have going forwards. And to be honest, I can't see his opinion changing too much unless something drastic happens. Uh, and at the moment, he's getting regular game time. Although that then contradicts the Maguire situation. You can see why he gets pelters from either way, can't you? Uh, then there's Calvin Phillips, who once again has been selected, despite not having a huge amount of game time. Those that have missed out include the likes of Raheem Sterling, who back in June, he declared himself unavailable uh, for those games. But now he's back, he's scored a couple... But with the greatest of respect, they were against Luton. Undoubtedly, his time will come again. That I am sure of. Uh, I've already mentioned John Stones and Tyrone Mings. Uh, but there's also no Luke Shaw, no Eric Dyer either. Uh, no James Ward-Prowse or Jared Bowen either, who's started the season quite well for West Ham. As always, we can't seem to go through a match day weekend without a dropout or two. 
So on Monday the 4th, it was confirmed that both Jack Grealish and Trent Alexander-Arnold had withdrawn from the squad. Now, Grealish didn't play in Man City's 5-1 win over Fulham and Trent went off injured with a suspected hamstring injury for Liverpool against Aston Villa. Off the back of this, Gareth has drafted in defenders Lewis Hall and Bashir Humphreys from the under-21s. Hall is currently on loan to Newcastle from Chelsea and likewise is Humphreys on loan from Chelsea. He's currently at Swansea City. Now, I'm delighted to say I am joined once again by Andrew Todos from Zoroya Londonsk on Twitter, or X, as they call it. Now, we all know it's Twitter, don't we? Uh, and also from the Ukraine Plus Football Podcast. Andrew, hello. Hi, Russell. Looking forward to another chat about um, Ukrainian football, another meeting between uh, Ukraine and England again. Let's see what happens in Rotslav. Uh, it's going to be an interesting one, I think. Certainly, hopefully, hopefully a bit more competitive than the last time. <laughs> well, you're right. I was I was going to mention that one because it was it was just pedestrian that game, wasn't it? What was the what was the feeling after that? To be honest, I think everyone was a bit disappointed in how that game ended up. Basically, it was the caretaker manager Rotan, who was the under twenty one manager at the time as well, and a club manager. So. He's, Struggling three jobs, he literally came in for that one game, played out, I don't know, a game plan that not many people understood in terms of Ukraine didn't really threaten England at all in terms of chances. And like you said, it was very pedestrian. And I feel that because of the sort of special occasion that it was, you know, with all the sort of Ukraine... Uh, unity and the big sort of away section and the refugees and everything. Yeah. Um, I honestly think that Southgate told the England team at half time, listen, guys, we're 2 0 up, just knock it about a bit and that'll be the, that'll be that. And that was essentially all that was needed, to be honest. And because honestly, after that first half, it could have been a lot, a lot worse. But a lot has changed. A lot has changed in the past six months. Uh, in Ukraine and in the sort of Ukraine national team. Um, So fingers crossed it will be a bit more competitive uh, come come Saturday. Well, yeah, let's hope so. She mentioned that it was um, Rostan, who was the interim manager then. Uh, He's now full-time manager, Sohai Rebrov, which is uh, Tottenham fans will no doubt remember him. He was a striker for, for Spurs. I'm guessing... Late nineties, early, noughties, yeah, early two thousands, early two yeah. thousands, and he had a, and he had a season at West Ham as well. So the Amish will uh, remember him back in uh, the Championship when when he was there for a season. So has he been in charge for a, for a game yet for for Ukraine? Yeah, so he took charge um, start of June. So he's right. actually had three games with his new team, uh, friendly against Germany. Which Ukraine drew three all. They were three one up in that, I believe, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. And then there's a load of changes, and even Kai Havertz scored. 
So um, <laughs> that, that was that was uh, that was a bit of a bummer towards the end of that, but still sort of promising to see when the sort of first team was out. Um, that three-one scoreline. Then the first competitive game in Skopje against North Macedonia, which was a long, hard slog. North Macedonia went two 0 up. However, Ukraine won three-two um, with you know a quite a, a, a game of two halves per se. The yeah. First half utter shocker. They couldn't really get into it. Nothing was going. And then second half, they came out sort of as a brand new team um, in terms of rejuvenated. Whatever Red Buff said in that halftime interval worked, made a couple changes and they got the win. And then they played Malta in Tarnava in Slovakia as their home game for that, that particular match. That was also another long, hard slog, which... They just about beat Malta 1-0 uh, thanks to a penalty late on. Also missed a penalty from Yarmolenko in that game too and had plenty of chances, just couldn't put it away. But that being said, it was at the end of a very long season for the majority of the team playing you know, during the war and everything else that's happening. Now we've got we've had a month of football, more or less, from sort of the Ukraine-based players the European-based players have had a few weeks as well, albeit not all of them have been starting or getting too many minutes, which I'm sure we'll touch on in a minute. Um, but I guess this window right now is the sort of the big one uh, in terms of, I feel, that battle for second place per mm-hmm. se, because England obviously look like the favourites to win it. And then Ukraine are facing Italy away a few days after the England game so it's a it's a big one and I think that whilst there aren't too many hopes really I mean just being realistic I think from just the average from the average sort of fan and some of the media about these two games um, I think there is a chance maybe just because this window is always a bit of a weird one just because it comes sort of so quickly after the start of the domestic season for a lot of the European leagues um, people are like, oh, it's not really a priority. I just want to play for my club for a bit more, you know, get into the groove of things. Maybe Ukraine might be able to catch someone um, on sort of the back foot. I do you know, I'm, I haven't even seen this. Serie A in Italy, has it started yet? Yes, I think it-, it started maybe last week. So it'll be like two games in or something like oh, okay. that. And I think, I think they have had a cup game as well. But... Similarly, I mean, what the Prem's had about three weeks now, four, think, isn't it? Four weeks, yeah. Well, four match days and mm. you know, some a few cup games. So, I think everyone's in the groove more or less, especially after pre season two. So, yeah, everyone's up to speed. It's more that there have been a few moves, obviously, um, in the England team, yeah. uh, like in, over the summer. So, I'm sure like Harry Kane, as much as he loves playing for England, probably would like to settle in a bit more in. In Germany, Jude Bellingham on fire at the moment at Real Madrid, but I'm sure that he probably would, you know, just love to get on a bit more about that uh, in Spain and then sort of continue. But this is the break, got to be done, and um, let let's see how it let's see how it all goes. Yeah, no, interesting way of looking at that. Yeah, I was looking at the Ukraine squad. As always, there's some some familiar names: uh, Mudrik at Chelsea, Zinchenko, Arsenal, 
Um, well, is it Moelenko at Everton? Yeah, Mikolenko. Yeah, Mikolenko. Mikolenko. But then I was scanning through it, and and to the nation's credit, there are still a lot of players home based, um, which obviously implies the league is still up and running and and going ahead, despite obviously all the the issues we know about. Which I mean, any any particular players? other than the ones we know that we should be looking at or that have taken your eyes? Yeah, so in my opinion, compared to the squad that we saw in March, um, on paper, anyway, this team, the starting lineup should be a bit better mm. than what we had in, in March. There were a few injuries, a key one being Ilya Zabani, who plays for Bournemouth. He, at the time, had an injury, ended up going back to his club to sort of, finish rehab and coming back from it. And he's now stalwart starting centre-back for them at the start of this campaign and uh, towards the end of last season. So he's going to be a big boost at right centre-back. And he was like sort of, I think, missed against England um, in March. On top of that, we've got a few moves um, that I've seen uh, some domestic-based players moved abroad. So Artem Dovbik, sort of the centre-forward per se that I think will probably start against England on Saturday. He's moved to Girona recently. He's had a few sort of sub-appearances so far, got a goal, and I just feel that he's also sort of in the new adaptation process to a new league, but he will be a bit more pragmatic and I think he's got a bit more confidence than Yaramchuk, who started in March and he's just been sort of off it for the past sort of year or so. However, he is also in the squad. He recently moved to Valencia. Um, however, I don't think he's going to be starting. Okay. Um, the same with, we've got the other striker in there is uh, Vladislav Vanat. He plays for Dynamo Kiev. Sort of a quite a young, um, fast player, gets a few goals and he, I think, will maybe be a bit of a threat off the bench. Um, when it comes to sort of maybe the latest stages of the game in Ukraine, if they're chasing a goal, he can try and help with a bit of energy with that respect. And I think something that will be interesting to see is where Zinchenko will play. Right. I think um, in March he played in sort of central midfield uh, alongside Stepanenko and uh, Sudakov. But this time around, I think there might even be a chance of him playing at left-back because we saw um, McCollinco, um at Everton. He's not really been starting for them recently. Came off with a bit of an injury against Doncaster in the EFL Cup last week and then only made the bench and didn't come on against um, Sheffield United on the weekend. So that's sort of up in the air. And then that means that there will be an extra space in midfield and one of the players that might slot in there is uh, Mikola Shaparenko, who is um, plays at Dynamo Kiev. Uh, he scored against Besiktas um, a couple of weeks ago in the Euro in the Conference League playoffs, and he's sort of quite an interesting, I guess, box to box midfielder, quite creative, got a good eye for a pass, scores the odd sort of long ranger, has scored uh, against France in qualifying in the past. Uh, for Ukraine and he was injured for the majority of last season and now he sort of came just back towards the end of it now he's starting for Dynamo Kiev sort of every every week now and he's sort of back in there so that'll be an interesting addition 
um, that sort of was lacking back then. And then, of course, Sergei Rebrov, the fact that he's the permanent manager, um, he's got sort of a backroom staff full of um, Spanish coaches that he's been working with for a number of years. His last job prior to the Ukraine job was in uh, was in United Arab Emirates uh, at Ayin. Then before that, it was at Ferenc Varos in Hungary. And he got them to their sort of first Champions League group stage in like 25 years under his tutelage. So he's been the guy that Ukraine have wanted in since Shevchenko left following yeah. the sort of 2021 Euros. Um, and he's finally in it. He's sort of the most impressive, most, uh, you can say, up and coming, even though maybe he's not the sort of the, the youngest, but he's still sort of um, under 50. So he's the most sort of promising and positive manager that Ukraine fans and media are sort of talking about. So this is sort of the first real test, yeah. per se, this England game of his of his career uh, as the manager, and we'll see how he copes with it. Well, let's hope for a a more more competitive game on the eye than the uh, the game mm-hmm. at Wembley. Um, you mentioned obviously that the game is in in Poland in Wroclaw. Um, which I'm led to believe as as quite the Ukrainian community. Do you know, I mean, have you been there before? Do you know what it's like um, and how many people um, are there? Well, I've not been there before, but I know I've got a few friends that live in Poland and they've been telling me they've been there loads of times. There's a lot of Ukrainians there. And that was even before sort of the full-scale invasion, just a lot of Ukrainian sort of people going over there to work and stuff okay. it's a bit of a university town kind of thing so there's a lot of Ukrainian students there too you could say that the dress rehearsal for this game was uh last week two weeks ago when Usyk fought Dubois in Rotslav in the same stadium so oh, um okay so essentially that that was sort of a, that was sort of the thing I I sort of passed on going to that one because I didn't want to go to Rotslav um sort of twice in the space of two weeks or whatever. <laughs> um and the fact that we're when we're recording this I'm currently in Ukraine. So I'm, what I'm doing is spending a l- number of few days here and then going straight from Ukraine to Rotslav to, you know, say flying back to the UK and all this other kind of stuff. But I think that it will be packed as far as I'm aware. The Ukrainian FA have made it very hard for any England fans trying to buy a ticket in the home end. Unless you've got crypto, by all accounts. (laughs) You've got crypto, you've got um, a Ukrainian VPN, you've got a Ukrainian phone number, you've got a Ukrainian (laughs) email address, you've got a Ukrainian um, card to pay with. So, yeah. But that being said, um, I was looking at sort of like, ticket sales in terms of what was available I think recently over the sort of past week and there's not too much left so okay. fingers crossed in a in a stadium that's what 40,000 I think capacity it should be packed it should be a good atmosphere and I feel that at least between Ukrainians and the English who um, there's a great sort of rapport going anyway yeah. it should be a sort of a, a well-natured and sort of a sort of a good fun atmosphere Looking forward to it. As you say, you mentioned you're in Ukraine at the moment. Whereabouts are you? So I'm in Kiev right now. Oh, so okay. in the capital. Been here for the sort of past week and a half. Been to a few matches, um, sort of the Ukrainian Premier League, seeing things, um, sort of doing a bit of work in terms of um on a little documentary about Ukrainian football and the war at the moment. So 
yeah, been insightful, been a bit dangerous at times when um, there's been some, let's say, air raid sirens on going on at night, lack of sleep, but fortunately all in one piece. But but yeah, the Ukraine camp will be sort of spending the whole week in Rotslav, so they should be well prepared come that game and uh, hopefully I'll be joining them in sort of a, a few days time ahead of end of the big one which I'm also looking forward to marvellous just just one other thing in in Ukraine I, I saw a tweet of yours there there was a particular area where they're actually building a new ground at the moment so there's good positivity on on that front there yeah absolutely so Kiev for example the capital and whilst there is a threat of like missile attacks and sort of drone attacks that happen, you know, fairly regularly, life does go on. And so yeah. there is a defiance about it. And that's the same said for football. Um, there are sort of teams that are progressing in that respect. Most of them, no, let's say, stadiums have started being built during the full scale invasion per yeah. se, but ones that sort of were underway beforehand have been completed. Um, there are, you know, footballs going on at the moment. Still, no fans are allowed into grounds. So, you know, you can go if you're accredited media or like you got some sort of special invite from someone. But otherwise, um, people are still waiting to to be able to go back to stadiums and sort of watch that. But at the moment, the sort of military administration and the government aren't permitting it due to safety reasons. But we'll, we'll see how it goes sort of over the, over the next few months. Um, and fingers crossed um, for more positivity from that respect. Absolutely, absolutely. Fully behind you there. Just Actually, just one more thing. And playing in other countries, is it Shakhtar playing in... Is it Hamburg they're playing in? Yeah. So for sort of this season, their last season they were in Warsaw. This season they're in Hamburg. I think they've opted for that one because they sort of pictured where could they try and get as many sort of people to come to games as possible. Yeah. They chose Hamburg because it's like the biggest German city that doesn't have any European representation. And they'd ended and they what they did is they sold um season tickets first for the three home games that they will be having in that in that ground during the Champions League. They sold sort of a, a three game package and over thirty thousand fans had bought those packages before the draw even happened last oh, week wow. so you know it's it's worked out pretty well for them i'm sure sort of from an economic front as well in terms of helping out sort of with how expensive it probably is to rent a stadium somewhere like hamburg or whatever um so yeah positive and fingers crossed they're in a group with barcelona porto and antwerp that they can still fight maybe the third place to try and get sort of a, a European spring next year uh, and maybe even go go for go for second place but it's going to be a lot harder than last year a lot last year I know everyone's sort of encapsulated by them sort of playing relatively well against Real Madrid and all the likes but that I guess adrenaline that was happening from the yeah. war and sort of the sort of the emotion and all that whilst well, so it's still there I think it's going to subs- subside a bit they've lost a few players including like people like Mudrick and I think it's going to be a lot tougher but we'll see what happens um, and regardless if anyone's sort of going to be going out to Hamburg I think it 
be quite an interesting uh, spectacle. Yeah. No, I've, I've heard people maybe thinking of going. Um, it's, it's just as I say, it's, it's good positivity um, for the country as a whole. Andrew, mm-hmm. thank you very much for your time. As always, really appreciated. Um, we've had quite a few chats recently um, <laughs> with two countries long meeting. Long may it continue, Russell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, long may it continue, yes. Um, well, stay safe, obviously. Um, and Cheers. yeah, safe trip to Wroclaw. Um, and yeah, maybe maybe see you there. Absolutely. Have a good one. Likewise. Now, it was announced only on the 11th of July that England would be playing Ukraine in Wrocław in Poland. Uh, before that, speculation was rife as to where it would be. Uh, Tavana, Lotz, Krakow, Vienna, Alicante had even been mentioned. Um, but now we know where we're going. Uh, regular listeners will know I like to try and get a little inside information onto the the town or the city that England are going to be playing in. So I'm delighted uh, to be joined by Robert Wojciak, uh, a resident of Wrocław. Uh, hello, Robert. Hello, Russell. How are you? I'm very well. Um, thank you very much for, for taking the time to join us um, for a quick chat. Firstly, is my pronunciation correct in, in both your surname and uh, the the town or city that we're, we're going to be speaking about, Rotswav. Yeah, it's very, very close. My pr- pronunciation of my surname was was actually perfect. For the city, yes, it, almost, almost good also. Uh, I would say Wrocław with a very strong V, Wrocław. Ah, Wrocław, um, because... Yes, when, exactly. When I first saw the this... Is it a town or is it a city? It is a city. It's actually okay. one of the biggest city in, in Poland, third oh. biggest city. Okay. When I first saw it, I was like, oh, my word. Well, it, it looks like raw claw. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it's taken yeah. me a little while to, to come around to its what suave. Yes, you're right. When I speak sometimes to some other English speakers, sometimes even I say raw claw, so they know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Okay, so if I was to say but to a, yeah. if I was to say to a Polish resident, they would know what I was talking about. Probably yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, I believe you were a you were a colleague of Ben Williams, who guided us around um, Qatar ahead of the World Cup last year. Is that right? Yes, that's right. We are very good colleagues, and uh, we spent together eight years in the same office room. Ah, yes. oh, so we're in good company. Another good tour yeah, guide. Yeah, very well. <laughs> so the 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 city of uh, Wrocław um, is is your home city. What, what's it like? What's it like there? What can we expect? It's a beautiful city, and uh, that it's a city that never sleeps. I would say if you go to main town square that we call uh, Rynek. There's always many tourists and uh, many people, especially young people, if there's a university uh, time. Anytime, it's 1 a.m., 2 a.m., always you can uh, see some people, bars open. Uh, it's it's a city that, that lives, really. Okay. And, it's a, and as I said, it's a big city, so it's more than 600,000 people live there. 
and uh, there's many shops, galleries, parks, sport events. It's it's a very nice place. Is it a safe city? Yeah, I would say it's very safe. Uh, now we we don't have problems in in Poland with uh, you know with crimes. Uh, not not so much. I, I would say it's safe. Yeah, yeah you, you can walk everywhere at any time, and it's quite safe. Good to hear. Uh, well, it's a uh, it's a city in the southwest of the country, not not too far from the Czech border, I believe. But has it has it got a, a history? What's it famous for? The the city is yeah, it's very old. It's it's close to Czech border and uh, German uh, Germany border. The, the city has a very rich history. It's very old. It, it was founded, according to legend, by a prince called. Uh, Vratislav around year 1000 and uh, since the beginning it was very multicultural Czech, Polish and German settlers lived there and uh, in the first few centuries it was ruled by Polish kings and princes then it became part of uh, Germany until the second world war it is famous for being raided by Mongol hordes in oh. the 13th century. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also, Napoleon captured the, the city in the 19th century. And uh, during the Second World War, um, there were some heavy ha- fights, and Wrocław uh, mm, capitulated even four days after Berlin. <laughs> oh. So, uh, yes, and there are many legends, especially from, from this time. Yeah. For example, that some citizens wanted to leave the city and they packed all the uh, all the money, all the gold into into a train, and we call it gold train. And this train left the city, but never arrived anywhere. And uh, since that time, since like eight years now, uh, many people are looking for this train. Yeah? So it's one of the legends. A gold train uh, just disappeared. Gold train, yes, oh. gold train, and even it was maybe like. Seven years ago, when uh, some people said that they discovered the entrance to a tunnel where the gold train is, but still we, we couldn't find it. So, yeah, that's that's the legend. Uh, yeah. But there is there is a truth in the legend. There was a train, but, yeah. and it disappeared with with tons of with tons of gold. Wow. It is probably somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Interesting story. Uh, I have to look that one up. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, there were very heavy fights, and uh, the city was destroyed hugely. By seventy percent of buildings were destroyed. And uh, but after war, Poland gained this these lands, like Wrocław and some some other um, cities and towns in this area, this lower Silesia region, became again Poland, and we rebuilt the cities. And uh, now it's very multicultural again. We have big uh, Ukrainian minority, and maybe that's why uh, that city was chosen. Because according to what I read in the newspapers, it's around twenty percent of um, citizens are Ukrainians now in 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 Wrocław. Yeah, that's that's my one of my thinking is is the the game being there because of this Ukrainian community. Um, in the city and totally understandable and I assume that they've probably got like their own little communities in and around the, the city Ukrainian areas have they yes yes 
they've been welcomed with open arms, have they? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. They were very welcomed, and uh, they settled many businesses also here. You can see a lot of Ukrainian restaurants, and they provide fantastic food. So, yes, it's it's a better place than it was before. I would say it's uh, more diversity. Good to hear. Yeah, yeah. Well, you mentioned um, food. What what sort of food and drink could um, England fans expect to find in in the city? Yeah, I think you can expect um, everything actually from all over the world. Like uh, you can find Chinese restaurants, uh, Nepalese, Indians, uh, Indian, uh, um, Italian, uh, everything. Also, as I mentioned, Ukrainian. So. And this type of food, and of course Polish food, local food, which is really fantastic. Uh, if if you haven't tried them, definitely you should. Like uh, pierogi, it's a kind of dumplings, uh, famous in Poland, but also also some other uh, things like um, schabowy, very famous. That's my favorite actually. Schabowy, it's a, a pork cutlet or schnitzel with uh, potatoes and salad that's that's very very famous in poland also bigos which is cooked cabbage with with meat uh, really delicious too and we also have polish drinks especially beer so if the fans are in the in the town square there are lots of pubs that are open until very late so you can try Polish uh, Polish beer like Piast, which is uh, from Wrocław. Oh, that's the local beer, yes. is it? That's the local beer, Piast. Yeah. Piasta. Okay. Oh, good stuff. That's what uh, that's what I'll be seeking out. Uh, my favorite places are probably Town Square, with beautiful town hall, and all of this, you know, the the, the life, restaurants and pubs, and many lots of people. Uh, we have around old churches, cathedral, um, the oldest part of the city called Ostrów Tumski Island. It's with the, the oldest um, building survived, St. Giles Church. It's very um, worth to visit. You can get, you can have a river cruise maybe if you have okay. time. It's, it's also fantastic, especially if the weather is nice. Little bit off the city center, you can find Centennial Hall, which is the only UNESCO site in the area. It's right. it's very interesting if you are interested in uh, ar- uh, architecture and engineering. It's a huge concrete dome, uh, the world's biggest uh, in the time when it was built. But even today, it it looks amazing. Right. Uh, I would also go to Ratsławice Panorama. It's the biggest painting, the, one of the biggest painting in the world. And right? it, depicts a, yes, it, it depicts a battle between Polish troops and Russian troops. And Pol- Poland won that, that battle. So it's also very comforting to us to, to, to see that. Of course. Uh, and and the, the picture is really, really big. It's around uh, 120 meters long and 15 meters high. And it's uh, it's a close picture. It's a panorama, oh, wow. absolutely amazing. Wow. So that... definitely this. Also, very famous for the city is uh, the little dwarves. 
little dwarfs. There are small brass statues uh, depicting, uh, I don't know, small people like uh, from dwarves. fairy tales. Yeah, yeah, okay. Dwarves, yes, this time my pronunciation is not the best. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and there are hundreds of them. You can find them anywhere in the city. Uh, some people, you know, collect them, like collect the pictures of them. So it's very, very fun, especially for younger people. And they're just um, dotted randomly around the city. Yes, randomly. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you, you can find some maps in, in the information centers. You can get the map where to find them. But the biggest fun is to to find them randomly when you walk around the city. Of course. Oh, I'll, I'll keep my eyes peeled for some of those. And also, uh, the main railway station is beautiful. One of the most beautiful in, in Poland, I would say. So, oh. yeah. And the rest you, you need to discover yourself. There's plenty of nice places. Uh, of course. There's also, I, I will mention another one, uh, uh, Kolejkovo. It's a, it's a model of a city with running model train. Oh, yeah. And it's also fantastic. Obviously, people are going for the football. I believe the the stadium is a little way outside of the city centre. Do you know the the best way to get there? Yes, it is a little bit outside of the of the city. Mm. The best way is uh, it, it depends where where you stay. When when you stay in the city centre, then maybe maybe Uber or taxi that would be the first choice okay. if you don't want to try to find which uh, tram or, or or bus goes there. And it would take like maybe 20, 30 minutes, I would say. But uh, if you have some time and you want to travel with locals, then I would definitely take uh, a tram. So from the city center is tram 3 and 10. Okay. It takes uh, around 40 minutes uh, to get to the stadium. With bus, it's more complicated because you would need to change. So I wouldn't recommend bus. But if you stay very close to the um, railway station, there is a train, local local train. Okay. Uh, that goes to Zielonagura, and it just takes 15 minutes uh, to get to the stadium. It's a third stop from the station. So it's, it's, it's quite near, but by train is, is the fastest. So about 15 minutes on the train. That's... About, 15, about 15 minutes, yes. That's good, good to know. Is it a game that you're, you're likely to go to? Do you think you'll, you'll be attending? Yeah, probably I, I will attend. Uh, should be a should be an interesting interesting game in a uh, an interesting city. So many things to uh, to see and explore. Um, it sounds good. I'm looking forward to it already. Um, Robert, once again, thank you very much for just uh, just taking us on a little guide around the city. Thank you very much for your time. Yeah, thank you very much to too for inviting me to your podcast. Now, Scotland Away takes place on Tuesday the 12th of September up in Glasgow, of course, at Hampton Park. I'm delighted to welcome back to the podcast Aberdeen and Scotland fan, host of the Scottish Football Forums podcast and author now uh, of Scotland's Swedish Adventure. Hello, John Bleasdale. Hey, Russell, thanks for inviting me back on your, your podcast. I must have made a little impression last time. Yeah, no, absolutely. But more than um, great to have you back. I think it was the 
it was the Euros when we last spoke, wasn't it? Um, yeah, it was just leading up to the game at Wembley, the um, the nil nil draw, the highlight of Scotland's <laughs> Euro campaign. Unfortunately, <laughs> did you get a ticket for that in the end? Not for Wembley, no. I got a ticket for the Czech Republic home game. Um, well, I say home game technically it's neutral, but um, yeah, but yeah, um, the the most important game of the tournament. But of course, it was the most disappointing result. But um, it? yeah, luckily we're not here to discuss that. No, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was still good to be. It was it was weird times though because obviously it was COVID and we were showing up at the ground tours before kickoff um, because of these time yeah. things that I see come in. It was just a weird experience. The next yeah. Euros will be better. Yes, yeah. Germany, isn't it? Yes. Good time to be a Scotland fan, isn't it? I mean, are you packing your bags already or are you just still a little bit on edge? Wait till the job's done. I mean, I know there's a few Scotland fans that were booking the flights after the um, win over Norway. Um, But I know of a radio DJ called Stephen Mill who has um, already booked flights to Frankfurt. I don't know if it's a return or a one-way, but they're that confident. Um, we're in a great position. We've won four games out of four. We're one of well, yourselves being the other and France being the other. I think Portugal have won four out of four as well. So, they may well so have done we're, we're an elite company at the moment. And given the fact that Spain at home and Norway away were two of those four games, well, it's a really great position. But um, with Cyprus coming up, um, you know, if we, I think if we beat Cyprus, we're more or less there. But of course, we've been in this movie before with George, etc. But I think this is a different team now. And I think we'll, I think we will get the job done, and I think we'll be um, going to Germany next year. But I'll wait till Cyprus games over, and I'll look into it more if I can afford it. Fair enough. Did we there for the Spain game? I certainly was, and um, I don't know if you noticed, but my oldest son Callum was actually a mascot that night. Was he top star? Yeah, um, yeah, he got to. Um, so the way they do I don't know how they do it um, in England but I don't know if it's just a UEFA thing but they get the, um, you to they get the mascots to wear in this case Cal wore a Spain kit but he was walking out with a Scotland player and that Scotland player was Grant Hanley um, okay. and obviously the opposite side is Scotland kit and a Spain player so yeah he got to walk out with Grant Hanley and um, Grant had a good game but that was a tremendous night I mean you couldn't have scripted it better his son being a mascot and Scotland producing such a dominant performance against Spain. I mean, apart from a 10-15 minute spell in the first half, Scotland won complete control of the game. But don't tell that to Mr Roger because he's got a different um, <laughs> view of things through his Spanish tears. I remember that. He wasn't happy at all, was he? No. There was a lot of sour grapes coming from the Spain team. You know, they were accusing... They, I mean, they said um, Scotland played rubbish. But, oh, well, what did you play? You didn't, you, you didn't even score. Mm. Um, we scored two good goals and we were comfortable um, but yeah there was I think we caught Spain on a good night Russell from being brutal honest they made eight changes they're a team in transition just now new manager new bunch of players etc but they've still got top players I mean I've just mentioned Roger a Champions League winning goal scorer yeah. you know for example but you've still got to beat what's in front of you we played very well in the night and we were we were absolutely superb and yes, yeah, it's, it's my favourite experience being a Scotland fan so far um, and I think it's up there with a lot of many others, even those who remember when we beat Spain the last time in 84 or 84 85 campaign. When's the, when's the Spain away game? Because if that's near the end of the campaign, then uh, you might be all done and dusted by them and the pressure might be off. Well, we're hoping so. Um, we're playing them in October. Um, I can't remember the dates off the top of my head, but 
there is a good chance, and you'll know this from your own position, but um, when our two sides collide on the 12th of September, if results go our way, then we could qualify that night. Um, and you oh. guys, I think, are in a similar position. Um, I can't remember who's all playing who and when. I know that um, if we beat Cyprus, I know Spain are catching up in games because they were also involved in the Nations League. So yeah. Spain are playing, I think Spain are playing Georgia that weekend that we are playing Cyprus. I'm pretty sure when we are playing England in that friendly, I'm pretty sure Norway and Georgia play each other again. And I think if it was, I, I need to look at first, I don't have yeah. in front of me, but basically if I think if Norway and Georgia draw um, that night, it's mathematically impossible for them to catch us if we beat Cyprus. So um, that could be a, a really good celebratory night for us. Um, and obviously, hopefully, if we beat you up the first time since 99, it would be even better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, I was looking back at obviously the the last time you beat us. Yeah, it's 1999 in that Euro qualifier down at Wembley, the old Wembley for those that are uh, old enough to remember or want to go and look on YouTube. But even further back, you haven't beaten England. I mean, I'm not rubbing this in. I'm just, just <laughs> factually, isn't it? Um, you haven't beaten England in Scotland since I think it's, what is it, 84, 85? 1985. Yeah, yeah. long time. I know, Richard Goff with the, the header. And, of course, we were so close in 2017 um, with the Griffiths free kicks. But after we finished celebrating um, in that game at Hamden, the second goal, I said to my mate, England's going to go up and score. And lo and behold, Stuart Armstrong gives the ball away. Um, we don't shut down the cross from Ryan Sterling. We leave the um, Harry Kane free in the box and he taps the ball into the net. It was yeah, it was just a typical Scottish moment. Yeah. We haven't obviously played each other too often since um, 85. I mean, there would, there would have been the two games in what, 87 and 89. I remember 89, obviously, Steve Bull scored. Yeah, that was yeah. the last of the regular fixtures. And then it's been 99 and 2014 at Celtic Park and 2017 at Hamden. So, yeah, there's not been many occasions that up in Scotland, obviously. Yeah, no, it's, it's a fixture that obviously used to be played so many times. And I think it's... The, the most played fixture, I believe. Um, but yeah, it's just sort of gone off um, in recent years, which is a shame for a variety of reasons. Um, and of course, this game is a um, it's a friendly, in inverted commas, isn't it? But it's to, to celebrate that very first game between the two nations back in 1872. It's the, uh, isn't it a, to celebrate 150 years of the game in its 151st year. Yeah, pretty much. I don't think there was a time that we could have played in 2022 because of, you know, the World Cup yeah. and the Nations League and all that um, kind of stuff. So this was basically the first free international calendar available for both England and Scotland. Yeah. Um, so we're almost preparing the paper because, what was it, 150 years of the FA when we played in 2013? I think so, yes. Game, yeah. 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 So, um, so, yeah, I think this is almost a return favour um, 150 years there, so yeah, that first that first game in 1872 as you say yeah it'll be an, inter- it'll be an interesting game um, I'd, um, I want to give a shout out to the Hamdeners because uh, we went on a, a tour when they were recalling that first picture a, a walking tour um, sub crawl um, and they took us to the Hamilton Crescent ground the cricket ground Yeah, and it was it's the first cricket game I've ever watched but I don't really remember 
watching much of it. I think we were just too busy having a little drink and so and <laughs> it was weird because the one one team was wearing I think a red kit, not the traditional white now it was um yellow and green so it was like well look Norwich are playing Man United so <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it'll be a it'll be a good occasion um obviously to celebrate the fixture and Scotland have got the they'll wear a, um, a special kit, the same kit they wore against Cyprus hundred fiftieth anniversary kit. So oh, that'll right. be in display for that night, which will be good. It's a sellout Hamden Park. I know obviously it's it's nothing that Scotland fans could do about or probably even care about the fact that England have only got what just shy of three thousand tickets, and I totally understand why we've we've got that amount because it's it's great time to be following Scotland at the moment, and a full Hamden is. I mean, I've been once, and you mentioned the twenty seventeen game there. I was there for that. When the Scottish fans get going, it's. I don't want to say spine tingling, but yeah, it's it it's hairs on the back of your neck stuff. It it's a great atmosphere. Yeah, I think Gary Neville commented after the Griffiths second free kick, saying he's not heard a, an atmosphere in the ground for a long, long time. And Gary yeah. Neville's also played at highest level, um, coached mm. with England in World Cups and European Championships. Not that I want to bring up that to you, because um, <laughs> <laughs> it was an Elfati spell. But yeah, it's. Um, it's unfortunate you don't get to bring more. I think, as I mentioned to you um, privately, had this been an official like, qualifier, I think there would have had to be a minimal like, 5%, 10%. But yeah. because it's a friendly and because we've got so many support club members, there wasn't that much wriggle room, unfortunately. But I'm sure if it was a qualifier, but it'll still be a great occasion. Um, and I'm sure you, you boys and girls will be made to feel very welcome. Because <laughs> I think times have changed to be fair since the. 80s and even the 90s, to be fair. Yeah, yeah, and no, I, I think you're right there. Um, but just just maybe before the game, just take us around Glasgow just a little bit. What, what can uh, England fans see and do t- around Glasgow? What do you recommend? And, and what's the best way to get to, to Hamden from the centre? From the city centre? Um well, the, there's regular trains that go from Central Station to Mount Florida, and then it's just a quick five-minute walk from Mount Florida to the West End of Hamden, where England fans will be. Sometimes the train queues can be extra long, so I've found myself multiple times walking from Central into um, Hamden. It's quite a long walk, but it's actually sometimes quicker than trying to get through the queue, depending really? on the time you're going at. Yeah, <laughs> it can be. Uh, if England fans are up the day before the game, I would recommend the Hamden Tour. I think the Hamden Tour is um, absolutely tremendous. You know, you get to learn a bit about the history and uh, there's the, the warm-up here. You get to have sh- um, the record your shots at how many miles per hour you can kick the ball into the goal. And um, They've added nice artwork into the lit- match the fans and players and women's team as well as the men's team, which is quite impressive. So I always recommend the, the Tour, but they won't do that on the day of the game, obviously. No. Um, in terms of city centre um, itself, I mean, there's also lots of bars you can go to. I can't remember off the top of my head. It's been a while since I've been to the city centre, Russell, for no. a few drinks, to be fair. You can take a walk down to the, the riverfront and see like, where the BBC studios and the MSTV studios are, and obviously the um, the hydro and the armadillo. There's the, there's the, the oh, tour yeah. bus you can hop on and off and get out of um, the whatever tour stops as well. Um, so you, you'll be spoiled for choice. I'm yeah. not your best tour guide, unfortunately. <laughs> Go on then. What's, what is this Scottish beer, isn't it? Is it it's, 
is it still tenants or something? Tenants is still the national drink, yeah. Right. It, it, well, in terms of in terms of beer, yeah. Um, but obviously, as you know, whiskey originates from Scotland, so again, you won't be spoiled for choice. Um, I'm not a whiskey drinker, so I can't really um, recommend. Um, but oh, the Tenants tour is actually pretty good. We did that for a friend Stanky a few years ago. Um, that's over in the Park Kerry area, so um, yeah, I would I would recommend that. That's where you get the best pint of tenants. To be fair, I mean, the yeah. Tenants um, tour keep people keep saying. Yeah, they don't pour it right in other um, breweries and stuff. Judge that what you think, but certainly the test tour is quite um, interesting to be fair. There we go. There we go. Just a few things that you can go and find uh, around Glasgow. I'm just looking at the the team that played in the last game. Georgia in the rain. Georgia. Team that he played Georgia. Just looking through the squad there, all the teams. And there's, there's a few names there that... Um, England fans will recognise Angus Gunn of Norwich, obviously Kieran Tierney at Arsenal, Andrew Robertson, Liverpool. He's, he's the Scottish captain, isn't he, Andrew Robertson? Robertson's the captain, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Scott McTominay. There's a, a fair few names there um, that ring true. Uh, is there any other names that you think likely are going to be appearing? Yeah, so, um, I mean, also... As we're recording this, we don't know the, the full squad and yeah. we don't know who's, what the injury situation is going to be like. But Angus Gunn will likely be in goal. You know, with Craig Gordon beat still recovering from a prone leg, I think it's fair to say Gunn will um, start in goal, I would imagine, that game. Brian Portis of Watford, he's been really good in a, a national shot and by all accounts, he's been doing well in the championship with Watford. He's been a regular. Um, he, I would imagine he'll start. He's really nailed on his position. Tierney will start. There's no question about that. I don't know why Arsenal aren't playing him, but that's a club debate. I think yeah. by the time Scotland and England play, he'll have moved. Who the centre centre back is going to be difficult because I think Grant Hanley's still out. And the last game we played, Jack Kendry there, who played very well, one of the few that shackled Haaland last season. Um, and he's also gone out to Saudi Arabia now. But Scott McKenna's been back in the Nottingham Forest shot. So he's another one that could come in. A spot for choice in terms of right wing back, Russell, as well, because we've got Nathan Patterson and Aaron Hickey both competing. I would think Hickey's got the starting shot at the moment because he's played the last few and Everton haven't started the season well, so we've recorded as well. They've been yeah. atrocious. Robertson's left wing man, that's all best. Um, Billy Gilmore started the season well um, at Brighton. They had a great game against Wills at the weekend. Cal McGregor will probably start. Uh, John McGinn will definitely start, I would imagine. And I would think London, it will be London Dykes or Shea Adams, I'd imagine, will right. start up front as well. Um, depends. Adams has been good for which is encouraging for um, Southampton. Dykes is a, he's not a, a regular goal scorer, but he is an absolute nuisance up front. So I'm happy with either one of them up front. Do you reckon that it's going to happen for you this time? You're going to, you're going to do it for the first time since '85. I have a funny feeling we could, Russell. You know, yeah. there's a good atmosphere in the air about the Scotland national team just now. And I think I'm the other thing that's pointing me in this direction, I'm not underestimating England. England are a pretty good team. You know, you've been European Championship finalists, you had a decent World Cup as well. You've started this um, Euro section very well. I know you didn't have a good Nations League campaign, but I wonder if it'll be that um if you will treat this game the same as us. That's yeah. where I'm kinda going. Mm, um, yeah, and, I totally understand. So I've just got that funny feeling. I think we're I think we're, we're long overdue, Russell. I mean, not even just winning at Hamden, but winning overall. We haven't done it this side of the millennium. We've come yeah. close once, obviously, as you know. But um, I hope and believe that this time we'll have our night. 
Well, we, we shall see. Um, I'm totally looking forward to it. And and likewise, just to uh, to meet up with yourselves um, in person um, and uh, and say hi. Tell us about the the book that you wrote, Scotland's Swedish Adventure, because that would have been. No, it's not the last time he got to the Euros, but it was a, a European Championships that he got to, didn't it? Almost it's forgot the first about one we qualified for. Yeah, it was the first one we qualified for. And incidentally, ah. I'm writing about your nice sex work. Come on to that later. Um, yeah. But yeah, the Euro 92 book, um, it was, it's a story that I don't believe got as much coverage from um, from a Scotland national team perspective, because whenever people talk about Scotland at major finals, they think about those World Cups that were qualified for and played quite well in. And obviously from Euro's point of view, Euro 96 gets brought up the most because we played England and yeah. we're that um, very nearly qualifying. But Euro 92 almost gets swept under the carpet, but we were in a really tough group. We had the European champions, the world champions and the Euro 88 runs up in the same group, you know, and we played very well in the three games and yes, we went out um, after two games, um, it wasn't a glorious failure novel per se, but we did win the last game and won it well and we were fifth overall in the competition and the fans behaved well, um, you know, fans get the Fair Play Award and unfortunately you guys got a bad reputation, so it was always that we looked at you guys and thought not let's do the opposite and set an example yeah. and um, I think it's a term that almost changed the nature of how the Tartan Army were going to behave going forward because they've also been revered around the world ever since then and um, long may it continue. But um, no, it was enjoyable because I got to speak to some great people like Richard Goff, um, the captain, Andy Roxburgh, the manager, his assistant, the late Craig Brown. Um, yeah. Got to speak to other squad members such as um, Morris Malpass and Stuart McCammy and Dave McPherson. And some journalists and lots of fans. The fan stories are tremendous. Um, but yeah, a great fun writing it. Top stuff. And you're doing one about Euro 96? Yeah, and it's going to be a summer theme. So I'm writing it with um, my co-author, Neil Dorsey, because he wrote a book about France 98. I also wrote about 92. So this is like the middle piece of the jigsaw made sense for two of us to work on it. Yeah. Um, and Neil was the one that got me um, the ticket for the check game and I'd really enjoyed his book and stuff. So um, we're well into the writing stage just now. We're hoping to still get one or two more interviews. But um, what we were fortunate was that we got to speak to Craig Brown back in February, four months before he sadly um, passed yeah. away. So the book will be dedicated to Craig's memory. That's a for certain. Oh, Marvellous. Nice one. And of course, you're the host of the uh, the Scottish Football Forums podcast talking Scottish football. Um, should anyone want to tune into that? I know uh, you can find that on the, uh, the likes of iTunes and, and the like. But uh, if anyone wants to, to follow you on the likes of Twitter, do you want to plug that? Absolutely. See, I'm one of the co-hosts. So, um, yeah, if you want to follow me directly, it's at chibleasdale81. Um, the podcast is at, at SFF Podcast. And as you see, you can find them on Twitter. You can find them on... Um, you can listen to them on... Spotify, iTunes, all the regular um, platforms, and uh, yeah, we have a we cover a, a wide range, you know, from Scottish Premiership, Scotland national team, down to the Lowland League level, junior level, and obviously we're doing a lot of women's football coverage as well, which is um, the steer that I'm heading more in this season, as long, along with the national team stuff, and we'll get the occasional guest like your good self in a couple of weeks. Yes, no, looking forward to uh, to coming on and, and saying hello to the guys. Uh, and likewise, I say, looking forward to uh, saying hello come the uh, the 12th of September. Looking forward to the game. Scotland, England at Hamden. John, 
thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Russell. Looking forward to meeting up with you. Thank you to John there. Looking forward to meeting up. Looking forward to the, uh, the Scotland game. Now, many of you will know that on the podcast, when an England player or former manager has passed on, I've done a small tribute to them, just sort of celebrated their career. I'd never considered having to do one when a close friend of mine passed away. But that's the situation I found myself in this past week. So if you forgive me, I'd just like to pay tribute to a good friend of mine, Trevor Eastall, who died on the 30th of August, a real football fan. Um, He was a season ticket holder at Norwich City. I first met Trevor on a bus going to Barcelona. Uh, It's from Reyes Airport in 2007 for the Andorra game. It was my second away game, having not been away since 2001. So I was a bit rusty. From memory, I think it may have been Trevor's first England away. I'm not 100% sure. But we'd both flown into Reyes, instantly realising that it was miles away from Barcelona, the city centre. But we'd both only done it because it was cheap. And by pure coincidence, neither of us had booked any accommodation, choosing to while the night away in the Catalan capital. It was hard going, trying to stay awake, walking the streets of La Rambla, uh, or finding our way down to the beach area, all before the sun came up and, and heading home the following day. But we looked out for each other and stayed in touch from there. From then on, we travelled to various parts of Europe together, Poland, Ireland, the Netherlands, Germany, Spain, Portugal, to name just a few. Uh, There was also the San Marino-Montenegro doubleheader in March 2013. That was a great few days, travelling across the Adriatic Sea on a ferry from Italy to Albania. For home games, I would often meet him at the Hamilton Hall pub in Liverpool Street Station uh, in London, as this was where... All our trains came into, uh, along with uh, our friends Mark and Tom. So we'd have a quick beer there and on to Wembley. In fact, just outside of Liverpool Street Station, there is an archway. It's called the Arcade. <laughs> it was uh, in there that we sheltered from the rain all night after the final of the Euros. Uh, we'd missed the last train home. And had to wait until the first the following morning. Ironically, <laughs> despite the result and the weather, we had a, uh, a good laugh in that arcade. Happy times. And I know that his first England game was in November 1979. It was the rearranged match against Bulgaria at Wembley. And he'd later go on to go to many World Cups and European Championships from 2006 onwards. South Africa, Brazil, Russia, Qatar, he'd done them all. Uh, We had a great time in Italy in March, then followed by Ukraine at home, where he, as always, would share the biscuits around during the game uh, and then always go off and make a phone call at half-time. 
And the last game we all went to together was the Women's Finalissima at Wembley. And as always, parted at Liverpool Street with a handshake and, and saying, good to see you, catch up again at the next scheduled England game. I know his last game following England away was in Malta in June. It was one that I wasn't able to go to, but he sent me a fair few photos from his trip. He had some flight issues getting back from there, which meant he didn't make it actually to the the North Macedonia game at Old Trafford. It's kind of the things you, you don't realise at the time that that would have been the last time I would have seen him. You just weren't to know. So no future England game for me will be the same, uh, as he's pretty much been part of my England journey. Age just 66 and only just retired, it should have been the start of a new beginning. So many plans he'd told me of, of adding to his tally of countries. That was a journey that had previously taken him all over the world and even to the South Pole to see the penguins there. He leaves two daughters, Kerry and Rachel, and my thoughts are with them and his grandchildren. Rest easy, Trevor. I'll miss you, mate. I'll be back with you very soon, taking a look back on these two games, Ukraine and Scotland. If you're going, safe travels. I may see you out there. Until then, take care. Cheers.